Logic at its root is a medical instrument. 10% of human skulls recovered from the Stone Age have silver dollar-sized holes bored out of them, the bone removed, the button opened. The tools they must have used to perform this surgery were crude, rock-made, rudimentary, ignoble implements. Must have had good reason. The brain swells to twice its size just thinking of it. Surely their logic was a logic of monsters. The way a demon takes up residence in the grey matter, builds a haunt shack below the bridge of your nose and through the bored hole said demon can be released from its captive inelastic concavity. The homosexual, since his invention, has been a creature held captive in the skull. Simple ritual. Touch the back of your head. Invent an absence in the solid matter. Trace the serrated ridge. Imagine what might come sprinting from your head if only you had the acumen to drill a hole in it. Athena was born this way. Phineas Gage is said to have had a metal rod pass through his brain and emerge at the other side a swan. In the film Pi, the hero learns the true name of God by opening his occipital bone. Every instrument of torture is born this way. Every instrument of sound and surgery, every painting and chair and chariot, every ritual and rite of passage, every word and hermeneutic. The skulls of fetuses come soft and in pieces so they can pass easier through their mothers into the world. The fontanelles harden with age until behold your new adult shape. Perhaps that ancient surgery is less about monsters and more of an argument for the preservation of youth to break apart the skull so you might pass back through your mother into oblivion. I understood this smoking cigarette after cigarette on the front porch of a man who'd gripped my head as if he were trying to disassemble it. How much easier it would have been had he succeeded, smoke rising up through the hole in me. After, I lay beside him in the position all humans take preparing for sleep regardless of age or history of what terrible things they've just done with their hands. That was On Trepanation by Sam Sachs, read to us by our guest today, Dan Goodwin. Hello, hello. Um, they are a performance poet and a theatre maker and a friend of mine. Hey. Thought I'd throw <laughs> that in there as part of your bio. Boom. You know you can you can have that up on on your profile. That's it. The, make a the top. Part. Friend of Sazok. <laughs> Friend of Sazok. <laughs> Very important. Put it on your CV. You know, for the first, I've like few months of seeing you perform at different spaces in Auckland. I think I only this is before I knew Jack or Jordan, that kind yeah. of circles. I only knew you as Sazok. I really appreciate that, to be honest. You know, like, sometimes when I use Sazok, I'm like, stop making Sazok happen. Sazok's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but I think Sazok's happening, so. I've, um, oh, it's definitely happening. Yeah. I mean, it happened to you. It happened to me. <laughs> it, had, it done been done to me, to people. Oh, I appreciate that yeah. in a big way. Um. Yeah, wow. I've never heard that poem before. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm quite blown away by it. I'm going to have to read it again later mm. because, yeah, quite, quite moved and in some ways disturbed by it. Mm. Um, why did you choose it? I, I the, that poem, that book, actually, that collection was recommended to me by uh, Jordan Hamill. Do you know? Yeah, shout yeah. out Jordan Hamill. Shout out Jordan Hamill, amazing poet, performer, um, over in the States at the moment studying. Um, I, I'm i not sure. I don't tend to read a lot of things until they're recommended to me. And then I read a lot. I kind of deep dive about a person. Um, Sam Sachs is one of those poets who is queer and then writes about mental health a lot and writes about mental health, especially in a really complex, nuanced way and often from not stating it, but from a kind of disability standpoint as well, mm. which is really interesting. Um, what do you mean with not stating it? Uh, mental 
mental health is a tricky one. I kind of actually kind of similar to that conversation we were having literally before this started about like, how do you want to introduce mm. yourself? Mm. I've gone back and forth with putting disability activist advocate <laughs> <laughs> on my on my bio for the longest time. Mm. Um, I don't know. It just it feels like appropriating something much larger than myself sometimes mm. and my mental health experiences to claim mm. disability as a label or mm. a community, mm. um, which it is like mm. for people listening, like mental health, you know, is a part of the disability community. Um, there are many, many people and arguments out there. <laughs> that will mm. tell you that and reinforce that um but yeah i don't know we don't see that a lot we don't have many conversations mm. that talk about mental health as if it's a disability mm. issue you know we mm. talk about it as if it's a mental health issue mm. and when we talk about disability we talk about physical disability mm. um yeah so same sex as poetry mm. is about mental health and for readers who read poetry that deals with disability or touches mm. on disability as like a theme, mm. um, we could read their poetry as just mm. having that theme as well. Although they might not have like intention mm. that to be like, this is poetry about disability heck yeah it's, okay heck yeah. yeah that that collection so that collection is sam sax madness um just called madness but um i'm not sure how i would like elevator pitch it or sum it up in one it's a lot of like it feels like a lot of self-discovery poems there's a lot around him as a child and reflecting on um i mean that poem was called on trepanation mm. but there are other poems on alcohol on mass hysteria mm. on different kind of topics you know mm. it feels like a very kind of um not entry or kind of entry like a, a dipping into different kind of you know ruminations on different aspects of mental health mm. and then on himself and mm. himself as a queer person mm. um as a gay man and then um as a mentally ill person as well mm. or a person with mental health mm. experiences you know mm. um and I liked that. I like that quality. I like that feeling of kind of dipping yourself into all of these things and just, yeah, just kind of encountering them for what feels maybe not for the first time, but for the first time actually seeing a lot of these things. And yeah, mm. I don't know. That feels kind of like mm. airy fairy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I you like it. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. When did you, um, when did you first read his poetry? Um, oh, a couple of months ago, I think. Wow. Not long ago. And it was a recommendation from Jordan. Yes. Okay. I want to shout out Jordan again because like, yeah. that's a very much mm. up your alley. Mm. <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah. That's great. Yeah. And that's where, that's honestly so much of my, to the point where I don't really seek out books or poets or poetry or theater so much anymore. I tend to ask friends who I enjoy the work of or friends who I just like, people who I trust. And I'm like, what are you reading at the moment? Let yeah. me read that as well. Yeah. <laughs> the privilege of having such a like cohesive poetry community mm. is that you can that you can lean on that. Mm. Um, that's awesome. Heck yeah. Um, but yeah, the reason why I say it's up your alley is because like that's those those things are a, a lot about what you write about as well, yeah. right? A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I do sound you, so. I don't know. Do you around that? But yeah. Do you ever feel like you get either by other people or by yourself, sort of like put into a box by the poetry that you're like known for? That you're like. Oh heck yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, I say as someone who has kind of dramatically shifted mm. the character of their box mm. from being... <laughs> that's, that's such a... <laughs> the color of my box has changed. Um, 
from like <laughs> from, <laughs> God. Uh, from from someone who used to be kind of the mental health poet and specifically kind of the schizophrenic poet mm. transitioning into I feel I feel like the queer sex poet has mm. kind of become the new moniker mm. a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know at what point I dipped into your poetry mm. because I'm pretty sure that apart from the cover slam, the mm. first poem that I ever saw you perform was, um, I don't know what the names of all your poems are, mm-hmm. um, the one about um, your friend passing away. Who was ah, in yes. the relationship? Uh, yeah, I'm almost amen. Like, amen. Yeah. Yes, amen. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that's, I mean, like it's a it's a queer poem, but it's not a sex poem. No. At all, and it's not it's not a mental health poem. Mm. It's like something quite different. Mm. So I think I remember one time, quite early on, in knowing you, that you were like. Everybody knows me as a mental health poet. Mm. And now I'm moving into like queer sexy stuff. And I'm like, hmm. hey. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> oh. Well, that's fine. Do you want to know where that poem came from? Yes, please. And it's going to, um, so originally that started from this idea, um, this idea of language, right? And the mm. meaning of a word like amen, mm. which, mm. um, as like a closing to a prayer, but also doesn't actually have one distinct mm. meaning, right? Mm. And I kind of love that. I love that quality about it. Originally, that poem was a defense of the word amen. Mm. Um, that th- It was that thing of, I think something horrendous, awful had happened in the news and um, there's a big outcry, as there often is from the States, as it often is, around like sending thoughts and prayers and there was a response to that of like thoughts and prayers are useless don't do that here's some like active like action and i was interested in thinking about the idea of like what kind of an action is it to say sending thoughts sending thoughts and prayers you know saying amen at the end of at the end of a prayer for someone at the end of a thought yeah a kind of conclusion or a summary um and then that kind of like extrapolated and went all over but that poem, what spurred it on was, do you know Amber Run? No. Um, they have a, s- <laughs> a song <laughs> called Amen. Great. Which is about um, about someone passing away and is in kind of in a way of honoring them, mm. I suppose, or paying mm. respects to them. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, almost kind of like a, conclusive totoko like mm. a yeah mm. wow mm. i like that because I, like I mean that. that story as well is a true story to yeah friends um from over in the uk um a lot of the conversations around amen and language didn't happen in that setting mm. as they do in the poem but what happened in the real life setting was that juxt- juxtaposition of me and jessica which is not her real name, but we'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. we'll maintain it um, for consistency. Um, being at this funeral and then seeing the this kind of weird juxtaposition of us being the only queer people there mm. amongst family and lots of loving words being spoken and shared, lots of beautiful phrases and stuff. Um, but I was feeling very, very alienated in that space and very, like Jessica, especially as the partner of this, um, of our friend, mm. um, feeling very <laughs> kind of stared at. Yeah. Even as people say these beautiful, these beautiful things, these beautiful yeah. phrases, you know. There's, yeah. um, it sort of brings to mind just this thought that, um, was sort of shared in the, I guess it was a comedy set. You know, Jonathan Van Ness came. Uh, like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and they did a, they did a, 
they did a performance and the sort of like running thread throughout mm. their performance was um, this idea of, well, primarily it was about queer joy, but they were like mm. within queer joy, there is always duality. Mm. And that's kind of what I get from that, this feeling that you're like in this space with all these l loving words and a setting which is meant to be mm. for support but inside it you're like i'm obviously not meant to be here yeah <laughs> yeah um i don't really know how that links and he says well i don't know i think your poem also has a significant amount of queer joy in it even within the sadness and the grief yeah as well um i tried to yeah i try to i try to capture I mean, ultimately, it comes down to, I think, that thing of language as a tool and then what's what's underneath the tool, right? What is the intention? Mm. But also, what is the, like, what is the intention? But what are the motivators behind that intention, mm. right? Like, what are people trying to do with language? And mm. why, did, why are people trying to do it, you know? Mm. Like, mm. why did this, you know, why did Joanne's mother come up and say god bless mm. yeah you know what does it mean <laughs> what does she mean yeah what does it yeah. mean and where and what spurred her to do that mm. right like why those words why that moment why mm. yeah i don't mm. know so many questions there and i love mm. those questions mm. and i love how yeah. language always kind of sits on top of them mm. you know people mm. we focus on language and we think of language as the thing of it but there's so much mm. underneath it and language mm. just always kind of sits on top mm. as the final final catalyst mm. Mm. to it you know i think um that sort of um i think seeing language as a fluid sort of beast um is something that you look at a lot in your poetry as well mm. Mm. um um, I also can't remember the name of this poem, but I <laughs> I remember a line from it because the first time I heard it, I almost fell off my chair. I was like, I love ah. this so much. Um, the hey homophobe, oh, haven't you ever heard of a homophone before? Haven't you ever heard of a homophone before? <laughs> I love that line so that, much. But that poem, that poem is <laughs> that poem is so much about that. So much about that, like um. Mm. pulling apart this idea that language is fixed mm. and the rules and meanings are like a crutch mm. when really it's yeah it's something that sort of sits on top mm. of of all of what you were saying of all the other sort of like mm. meaning that we that mm. we share mm. um yeah i i I absolutely love it. I, I fang for that in a big way. Yay. And I also just like imagine like how do you how do you jump into into that? Like do you just start writing or like I brainstorm like crazy and yeah. like make he I if I could have a conspiracy wall for uh -huh. my poems. <laughs> <laughs> Strings yeah. attaching attached <laughs> to pictures. Exactly. Maps to nowhere. Attached <laughs> attached to words, attached to homophones, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> attached to homophobes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, how do you how do you get into that? Like with that poem, what what happened when mm. you wrote it? Um, I think I just kind of I got in trouble, not trouble, but I got looks, I got funny looks the last time I was in a workshop um, with kids, I think. And we're talking about poetry and writing and mm. process. And I think we did this, we talked about like the, what's the one tip that you would give to writers around poetry and theater. And my go-to tip whenever people are like, what's your one one tip. One weird trick. One weird trick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's hate them. <laughs> Earn five hundred dollars a day with this one life hack. Um, <laughs> but it's and it's a bit hyperbolic, but it's one I go back to a lot and I love it a lot. Is the words don't matter. The words don't matter. They really don't. And I think that's true. 
in a lot of ways for poetry and for theater especially and and actually anything when you have bodies in space if you have bodies in space even more so um mm. and it's not it's hyperbolic like i said like the words do matter mm. like there's a lot of choices that go mm. into that you know even if language is the thing that sits on top but again because it sits on top the words that we choose because words are so they feel like the end of the line of the decisions that we're making, right? Mm. And so they feel like the most important choice mm, mm, and mm. they have the most impact. Mm. But there's such a wealth of choices that come before it, mm. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think with with poetry, with poems when I'm writing, and even for theater, actually, I kind of try to sit and stew in the idea of the world of the poem. Like if I imagine, I kind of, to put like a visual metaphor to it, because yep. I don't know any right. other way to describe it. Right. Like if you imagine the words for a poem sitting on top of a pond, like when I write and when I edit, I kind of try to sit with the poem and I try to see what's underneath that. Mm. Like what's the water? What's all of the like non-formed things, mm. you mm. know? Mm. Also, what are the flies going to be like on top of the water? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. um, because I try to, and like I try to, I try to get actors to think of this whenever I'm directing or dramaturging. You know, you get actors that are focused on lines and delivery of lines, and it's like, no, why, why are you here? What is the room like? What is mm. like? What is the time of day? What is the season? What is the mm. year? What is the political climate? Mm. Like those choices, those decisions and world building things are infinite. There, are, There is no end to all mm. of those kind of enriching details that you can discover. Mm. And the more of those that you can kind of sift through and find what's interesting and what's not, right? What's useful and what pulls you in and what feels relevant, right? The more of that you have and you can hold the more sense the words will make when you finally come to them, mm. right? And I think that's what I mean when I say the words come last. The words mm. don't, the words don't matter. The words come last, mm. right? Mm. When you finally speak this poem and you put the thought and intention of the poem, the world of the poem through the filter of these words, like how, how much of a catal catalyst effect do they have right because mm. i feel like the mm. more you do that sitting in it world building work mm. the more powerful the words are yeah and then an audience audiences watch it and they're like oh the poem is beautiful the language the words you know that's all we ever talk about mm. word choice blah 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 blah, blah. Mm. and those choices are important like they're mm. very important i don't mm. want to diminish those mm. although i kind of do <laughs> 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 but you know i i feel like we don't often look at the world building yeah enough yeah. Yeah. If you don't invest in the pond, then the lily pads are just going to be on a dry, yeah. empty ground. Heck yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like that poem for like Joanne and Jessica, mm. which is like who that poem is. It wasn't originally for them, but it is now, you know, like that poem doesn't exist without them and mm. without, without my friendship for them mm. and without the world that we had for years and years before a three minute, you know, a three minute poem, mm. 400 words, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's, that's something for me to take away. I'm sitting here like taking notes. <laughs> like, okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Two minutes, 58 seconds. Yeah. Great. Yeah. But you know <laughs> what I mean? Like those four, if we talk about like editing a poem or writing a poem, those I think even like I think it was two and a half years that I spent with them are infinitely more important than the week that I spent writing that poem mm. in terms of like process right mm. yeah I mean it's like that you'll hear it from acting teachers to actors all the time you know the most important thing you can do is go out and live go out and mm. live and watch people and collect stories and mm. you know and it's a bit again it's a bit hyperbolic but it's mm. true like mm. What what is the world that you're drawing from that you want to inhabit, right? Mm, mm. Mm. Yeah, I guess um, 
quite often when people write, they're interested in producing text, mm. you know, like it's, it, it's almost, yeah, it's like a question of like production of productivity. Yeah. Um, and that is so alienated from the whole rest of who you are. Mm. Whereas really, I guess, uh, I wouldn't say a good piece of writing, but like a fulfilling piece of writing mm. is a culmination of all those things, not mm. separate from, um, mm. which is like radically anti-capitalist. Yeah. Uh, Thank <laughs> you. Like the, f absolutely the fusing of those two things. Right. Mm. And I mean, like, I'm not saying that when I sit down at my laptop to edit a poem that I'm not looking at word choice and rhythm and, mm. you know, I love me some assonance. It's <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Um, <laughs> don't we? But I mean, yeah. But I mean, we we all love. Sorry, I just keep looking at this velvet ceiling. There's a velvet ceiling a in there. Glow <laughs> just came into the recording studio, and it is beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's really highlighting the mushrooms, <laughs> the mushroom earrings. I am wearing Looks mushroom stunning. earrings. Thank you. Um, but what I was going to say is. Um, we we all still love our craft, mm. you know. Mm. Um, Ish. <laughs> <laughs> what <do you> mean? <laughs> love hate. Love hate. Mm. I oh I have a really hard. I actually I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. No, we haven't. I want you to I want you to tell me what you <laughs> what you love hate about the craft. Whilst I take off my sweater, I'm feeling very warm. <laughs> it's quite toasty in here. Um. Because did I ever did I ever tell you why I stopped writing mental health poetry? No. <laughs> um, I don't actually actually that's I don't know how many people I've had this conversation with. It's a it's a big conversation. I don't have it very often. I for the longest for the longest time for like a year and a half. <laughs> mm, that's I mean that's a long time. <laughs> Which for a twenty four year old feels like the yeah. world. Yeah. Um, for like a year and a half, two years, the only thing I wrote about was schizophrenia. That was yep. a big part of my identity as an artist and a maker. Um, I used to perform these really, really angry, or not ang politically minded and very stern, I'll say, poems about schizophrenia and psychosis and psychotic experiences um, and like advocacy and advocacy for them. My, like, and I, I don't know how many of these poems you would have heard even. Like Eight Simple Rules? Psychosis is perfectly natural, no? Not sure. Yeah, I mean, again, I stopped performing them. Mm. Um, and the, re the reason I stopped performing these poems, these kind of advocacy poems, is because they would feel really phenomenal in the moment. And they would get a good reaction. They'd always get a good reaction and friends were really supportive. And then I would talk to friends afterwards around psychosis and just my kind of living with it on a day-to-day. -day. And the love for the poetry was still there, but the actual like awareness of the experiences didn't go any deeper than the poems mm. if that makes sense they engaged with it for three minutes yes like mm. i never felt lonelier in my life than when i was doing those three minute poems being applauded at a slam and then going home still alone no more connected to friends or loved ones um yeah just us miserable yeah. Really miserable. It's almost like it's almost like going to a therapist, sitting down, mm. being extremely vulnerable and then them mm. just leaving. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Or even like going into going into a doctor, them asking and I think you've been through you must have been through this experience as well. Not to put you on this, but like going in, explaining your story for half an hour with a psychiatrist for the first time mm. and then feeling really good about it and then coming back the next day and then asking the exact, exact same, same questions. questions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We've all had that experience. Yeah. I was starting to have it with poetry. Mm. 
I was starting to have it with poetry mm. to the point where I had performed these poems for like two years. I was only getting angrier and feeling more alone and starting to hate poetry a little bit and hate art a little bit. And I remember at the end of those two years around then was when I had the a chat with my psychiatrist being like, hey, we think schizophrenia was the wrong diagnosis. We want to reassess. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was its own thing, right? My mm. world was kind of caving it. Again, I'd built my kind of identity around this mm. for a long time. And then I remember I went and chatted to a close friend of mine. And I thought it was going to be this big r- reveal. I felt guilty. I felt awful. I felt like I'd lost an aspect of my identity. Um, my experiences hadn't changed, but the language had kind of been thrown out the window. Mm. Um, and my friend said to me, I was like, hey, this uh, this isn't the right diagnosis i don't know what it is yet but this is where i'm at and i was really upset and they were kind of like oh, okay cool and the reaction kind of threw me for yeah. s- through me because i was like this is someone who had not only like listened to my poems and my theater and for everything for mm. these two years but had engaged with me a lot mm. and i asked i inquired to figure out what the reaction was i was like is that is it okay what's what's the deal yeah and they said well i guess i never really understood what schizophrenia meant so i don't really know how to take this news Mm. and i tell you never never have i hated myself as an artist never have Mm. i hated poetry the more in my life Mm. in that moment mm. because it was yeah. like, because it was like I, I've been performing these for two what do you mean you have no idea I've been performing yeah. poems where I talk about experience of it for yeah and you've told me you like them and you've yeah. told me you like them like I've won slams with these things I've won mm. competitions with these poems mm. in all in all like craft sense of the word like these should be good poems mm. doing good work mm. and it, it hit me in that point in that moment i was like huh none of my friends are like none of them are going home and jumping on wikipedia to look at like schizophrenia symptoms Mm. how to best support my friend what Mm. what does delusion mean Mm. Mm, 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 mm. like that work doesn't happen because of a poem yeah and yeah so that's yeah yeah I mean, it can. I, I feel like arguably it can happen mm-hmm. because of a poem, mm. but it wasn't happening, and you were really putting so much of yourself into it. Yeah. For, um, mm. n- not enough really coming back for for you. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's when I wow. swapped to to queer poems. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so queer poems got the exact same response. I figured out that I could tell a joke about queer sex, get a massive laugh, <laughs> and it, it didn't feel like putting anything of myself on the line. Yeah. It didn't feel, uh, not in the beginning. Now I'm starting to actually like delve into that and figure out my own kind of sexuality journey mm. through poetry mm. in a r- real engaged way. But mm. yeah, for a time I was just like, fuck this, I'm going to tell a joke. Mm. that feels really safe and distanced for me mm. and it's going to get the same reaction we're all going to cheer and laugh at a slam and then i'm going to go home and i still feel like i've like been sheltered enough to not yeah 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 um i think it brings up a really important point um that i think you and i potentially spoke about last time i interviewed you mm. on a podcast mm. um but I feel like it's it's worth bringing up mm-hmm. for the audience of this podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that people don't say every time they MC a slam, but mm-hmm. sometimes they do, and I really appreciate it when they do, mm-hmm. which is that no – I can't remember exactly how they phrase it, but, like, no slam is worth your safety, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just, like, no performance is worth, is, is worth your safety. Thank you. Um, and I think that's, like, a – someone who really enjoys performing Mm. and currently navigating my own relationship with being competitive Mm. (laughs) Mm. um is something that's a a weird sort of thing 
to grapple with because on one hand I know that part of what poetry does for me is it gives me a space to be vulnerable and especially in the community that you and I are in I often feel like I can be quite vulnerable and still feel held I also know and this is not advice to anyone doing the slam, but I also know that being vulnerable mm. is like advice that's often given to slam poets. Like you, you can't just like not have any vulnerability because in, in order to connect with an audience, you need to connect with them on some level. Yeah. That's vulnerability in itself. Mm. But, yeah, I've also been in situations where I've done poems and I've been like, oh, I feel like I share too much. Mm. And then I've sat down and been like, not worth it. Yeah, not worth it. <laughs> not worth it. Not worth it. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting sort of push and pull for me where I'm like, mm. if I do something too far removed from myself and political, I feel like I'm not connecting. Mm. But if I do something too vulnerable, I don't. I, I no longer feel like it's worth it. I no longer feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's just sort of, yeah, it's an interesting push and pull. Heck yeah. And I imagine that you're grappling with that, moving into slightly more vulnerable territory in your newer poems as well. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I feel like Slam, Slam in particular, is such a, especially in kind of adult spheres, is such a individual task. And it's such a like powerful art form. Like you can you can jump on a mic for three minutes and say whatever whatever you want to. And even like even like taking the idea of poetry out out of the equation and the idea of poetic craft. Like even just sitting with a thought, an idea, and deciding that you wanna talk about it for three minutes. And not only that you wanna talk about it, but you wanna build some kind of thing around this idea right <laughs> whether it's a poem or a song or a comedy set mm. right like to think of an idea and be like yeah this is worth building something around mm. and then sharing that that thing you know mm. i feel like sometimes we forget how unwieldy the things we build can be mm. like the stories that we construct even for ourselves have a lot of have a lot of power like hell the idea of like negative like thought spirals mm. <laughs> right like how many of us have just gone about our day think like having something shit happen to us and then mm. just spiraling and building mm. the story of it in our head right i wish there was a three minute limit on negative thought spirals th <laughs> negative thought spirals. <laughs> literally oh thank god there is a th three minute limit for slams but you know i think it's the same principle yeah right? like even if there's a degree of consciousness around it right mm. like you're doing essentially the same thing you're adding adding to a story mm. it is a power it's a powerful thing mm. and we don't always do it in a way that's again taking craft out of the equation for a second mm. like we don't always do it in a way that's safe for mm. ourselves or for other people mm. you know sometimes mm. we build things that are bigger than our ability to hold and manage mm. and share not just respon responsibly, the idea of mm. responsibly, but even just our capacity for it, you know, mm. like holding this thing and it kind of going, getting out of yeah. hand, right? Like yeah. that happens. Yeah. You know, I think we've all seen that on, I think I've done it. I'm sure many of us have, mm. you know, mm. and I think we've all left a slam feeling worse than when we went in beating ourselves up thinking that was supposed to like, expunge this thing and instead it's just made it worse why is it made it worse mm. you know i think we've all been mm. in that position that person mm. yeah i think yeah i think slam's an interesting thing for that especially because of the competition element in mm. there as well um don't get me wrong listeners i am a huge fan of the slam and i think it's a really cool way of getting people on the mic yeah and um you know also creating a community around it like the number it's actually we talk okay i'm getting on a bit of a tangent here but whatever yes positive thought spiral um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
like the number of people that I see at a slam, I know we're always like, oh, we don't have enough ju- judges. But I've, mm. every single time I've gone to a slam, I've like s- talked to a number of people who are like, I've never been to a slam. This is my first time here. Mm. I've just come to see the poetry. Mm. And I feel like that happens because it's a competition, you know? Right. I think people are coming because it's like, mm. this is this is like coming to see a sport. Yeah. You know? Thank you. So props to Slam for that. But I think, yeah, there's definitely an element of the fact that it's a competition that can encourage people Mm. to potentially take risks that they might not otherwise take because they're competitive. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's such a double-edged sword, Mm. right? Like you introduce an element like that. And again, it's a powerful powerful thing competition mm. is a powerful thing people get really invested <laughs> really mm. invested mm. you know mm. as they should mm. as they should you should care mm. you should care about the things that you do they should mm. make you excited you should mm. want to win you mm. should want to go in there and blow everyone away mm. right but the second you start putting yourself worth Mm. on that Mm. especially in the way that especially in the way that competition exists outside of ourselves sometimes Mm. competition with yourself great competition friendly competition amongst friends Mm. great fun fun competition in a structure where there are prizes on the line and there is like work opportunities at stake and Mm like pathways to more gigs or more touring opportunities Mm. you know when there is an opportunity to enter into a this idea of like a professional poet Mm. that you've won a slam or done well at a slam you know Mm. just that in itself like the idea that suddenly you are a professional because you've done well at slam (laughs) it's a really dangerous Mm. really dangerous thing i think Mm. Mm. to chuck on poets I feel like now's probably an interesting time for me to mention that you're the national slam champ currently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, I forgot. I did do that thing. I did. I did. Uh, do, you feel like, do you feel like it's changed your feel? Like, do you feel like a more professional poet now that, mm. now that you've won? It would be, yeah. It would be irresponsible of me to say no. Mm. Yes, it does. <laughs> I wish I wish I could sit here and be like, oh, it's not changed me at all. I'm the mm. same poet that I've always... Hell no. Hell mm. no. Um, I think it would be remarkable, remarkable if I had remained the same poet, mm. you know? Mm. Because it's the Nationals. It's a massive... Mm. It's the biggest, technically speaking, the biggest competition in the country. It does offer work opportunities. It does mm. change people's opinions of you Mm. it would be a miracle if i hadn't changed at least a little bit in response to Mm. that Mm. you know not purposely Mm. but even just being a person in relationship with other people and the way they look at me Mm. now Mm. um yeah like people do treat you differently Mm. which is a very strange thing to navigate (laughs) um yeah Mm. i don't think i don't think I'm necessarily a better poet, though, mm. after winning the National Poetry Slam. Mm. Um, I think I'm a better poet because I've continued to do poetry for a mm. year and continue practice. To, yeah, continue to practice and read and all the things. Experience. That, yeah. Um, but winning a title doesn't immediately, like, level up your poetry. Yeah. 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 I guess it's the same with anything, mm. right? Yeah. Mm. Um, I also want to mention... And we can cut this out if you want. Mm. <laughs> but I also want to me- <laughs> also want to mention that you went to Worlds recently and did. you didn't have a good experience. It was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> I feel like not even being hyperbolic. It yeah, was the I feel worst. like mine was like Latoshi's. Like, you <laughs> 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 didn't have a very good experience. <laughs> oh, honestly, there were. See, that's the thing as well. There would be poets out there who would be like, remember to be political, but the way that you talk about it, even mm. though you didn't have a great experience. Mm. That was the worst experience of my life. Mm. I have never been to an event that was so poorly organized Mm. with so little care Mm. for the poets Mm. involved. Mm. 
Mm. I have never been a part of, again, this idea of competition as a structure, right? Mm. And a business. Mm. Um, and part of like a poetry circuit or a touring mm. circuit. Mm. Um, that is very much the beast that it kind of, that worlds kind of exists mm. in. And the horrific damage that it did to so many poets in that space. Mm. Um, it, honestly, honestly unacceptable. Mm. If that's what it, if that's what it means to be a professional poet of that level, mm. I I want nothing to do with it. Mm. Honestly, I just feel like the conversation that you and I were having the other day about it is that it put into perspective mm. the work that's happening within New Zealand to make sure that mm. professional poetry continues to have integrity yeah. and mm. look after its poets and stuff like that. Heck yeah. Well, again, I mean, he'd probably kick my ass for saying it, but like Ken Arkind, who is one of the, shout out Ken Arkind, amazing. <laughs> I could see it you coming. Saw <laughs> I saw it coming. Um, one of my closest friends, um, actually like one of my absolute closest friends, um, ride or die is an expression I don't know the meaning of, but I've heard straight people use it. And he's <laughs> heterosexual, so we'll stay with it. Um, <laughs> but people... Oh, I don't know if I should say this, but fuck it. People give him a hard time sometimes because of how pedantic he gets around slam and finding judges who he thinks will do right by the poets and making spaces for poets. And he always says that it's for the poets. How can we always bring it back to the poets? People give him a hard time for being so pedantic um, sometimes or tease him for it. And after Worlds, I have so much more respect and awareness for why that man does what he does and why he cares so much about those aspects of slam and why he will not. Like, I've I've never seen it, but I've heard stories of Ken holding off a slam for hours until he gets the right judges in the room and the mm. right making sure that the poets are feeling ready, mm. right? Um, I don't know how true those stories are, but it's a great story. Um, I have so much more time for that now after, after Worlds because I've se I feel like I've seen what the antithesis to that is. I've seen what it looks like when organizers only care about the event and how the event is perceived mm. and care nothing about the poets participating. Um, again, that thing of like only caring about what's on the surface and what people see initially and caring very little about the pond underneath, mm. right? Yeah. Right? Like that was world's experience yeah. for me. They've not done their world building. They've not done their world building. And it felt dehumanizing. It felt dehumanizing. And I've never felt that at Jaffa. You know, shout out Kyrie Rosinski and again, Ken, um, for organizing that space. That's very mm. much Carrie's kind of child. Um, but yeah, seeing what they do for slam spaces in, in Auckland primarily, but New Zealand as well. I'm mm. just like, ah, oh, okay, now, now I get it mm. so much more. Mm. Meh. Yeah, I think we can be really quite grateful. I feel like I, I, you know, send a lot of love to our poetry community all the time on this podcast, but whatever, that's like part of the purpose of it to just mm. be like celebrate. Because I, I feel like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like there's a there's a lot to celebrate mm. for for who we have. And also like the things that I'm seeing like spring from that as well. Mm. Like... um yeah, like groups of poets who come to slams mm. who know each other and are like writing poetry mm. and practicing their poems and like doing things together outside of that and like mm. you know, like it's it's very mm. much like a growing a growing beast mm. and like tended to yeah. quite carefully. Um Heck yeah. Yeah. I think we can be really grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Heck yeah. I mean, it's definitely the space that, like, made me feel comfortable enough to start doing any kind of, mm. doing any kind of poetry. So, yeah, very, yeah. very grateful for it. Mm. Um, but you're touring at the moment. I am. I am touring. I've just come back from Christchurch. 
um, which was amazing, phenomenal. Shout out Little Andromeda. Yes, shout out Ray Shipley. Shout out Ray Shipley for hosting like the most beautiful queer open mic event. That happens monthly, right? Monthly at Little yeah. Andromeda. What is it called? Uh, Ray Shipley's Late Night Poetry Hour. So good. Yeah. Which is very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm just getting up my little like thing to see where <laughs> yes. to see where I'm going next. Um actually no, I know. Uh Tauranga tomorrow. Whoa. Which is really okay. exciting. Great. And then Which will be in the past for the people who listen to this podcast, but <gasps> yeah. that's fine. Time travel. <laughs> um and then Hawks Bay and then Golden Bay. New Nelson's, Ooh, top of South Island, and nice. then Wellington for a week and a half. Beautiful. And then back up to Auckland to do some do some stuff. Great. Yeah. That should be really cool. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. Um, and you also make theatre. This is I, the other I thing do. that you do. I do. Which, sometimes. I mean, like poetry and theatre, you know, kissing cousins. Kissing cousins? Yes. Kissing, <laughs> kissing cousins? You never heard that. I've right? never heard that. I love that. <laughs> Maybe that's a straight person thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not straight for anyone who's listening. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> kissing cousins. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> kissing cousins. Oh. Um, I'm not straight, but I am from a farm. <laughs> yeah, correct. I don't know what that means. <laughs> what? Uh. Um, I can't even remember what. My, oh, yeah, that's right. You you do you do theatre as well. Yes. Earlier this year, you had a show, Chrome Dome and Schizo. I did. Which was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Tears. Laughter, crying, screaming, throwing up. Hey, I knew I heard retching from yeah. the back of the audience. I love it. We love a visceral reaction. No, it was fantastic. Um, do you have theatre plans in the works? Because I've not really spoken mm. to you about this. And how secret are they? I have a, I have a couple of things in the works. I one of a couple of them I can't talk about. Yeah. Um, one one of which will be coming out in December. <gasps> nice, which will be really fun, I think. Um, yeah. and then I'm, we're hoping to bring Chrome Dolman's Schizo back. Right. Yeah. So we did that. That was an amazing experience. It's a show that's existed for in different forms for like six years. Mm. Um, it was originally a poetry anthology mm. that turned into a play. That was only a play that then turned back into a play poetry. Mm. amalgamation which mm. was really fun mm-hmm. um we did that in like three weeks as well that was the fastest every single person that i spoke to about this mm. was like hold on they've got it on already yeah. like they were doing they, they were doing auditions like last week yeah <laughs> super tight super tight process we we want to bring it back we want to bring it back so that we can do it with funding which would be really great yeah and just with time just so again that we can kind of exist in the world and do some of that world building mm. sifting P- pond sifting yeah pond sifting <laughs> just you know just bathing in a pond for a little while you know like we want to yeah. we really want to do that process nice for a little while um the idea of memorizing some of the poems the long mm. 15 page poems in that mm. play again stress mm. me out but mm, i'm up for it that was a good that was a good yeah. time I mean, I wouldn't yeah. have noticed that you had any problem with memorizing them watching the play i wouldn't have noticed which is <laughs> speaks wonders to our technician shout out to paul who covered my ass so many times i don't even understand how that works but that's the magic of the theater literally literally <laughs> him winging it with lights and cues oh, catching great. up or going great. back to wherever i'm i actually didn't happen that too often which surprised me i was getting right re- before that opened that show opened i was getting ready to be like something's gonna go wrong, I'm gonna <laughs> fuck up this long ass poem. <laughs> but no, it was actually went it went okay. Yeah. The majority of it, which is good. Did you feel because I feel like when you were when you were telling me that like, you know, you'd stopped writing mental mm. health poetry, mm. did it feel safer bringing this out in 
uh, more theatre format. I don't know why. Mm. I, I have my own ideas about why it might have felt safer mm. for you, um, and if it did. But uh, I don't know. Mm. What are your thoughts on it? Your um, experiences of it? Yeah, I. It definitely did. It definitely did because again, it felt like it had enough time to kind of um, marinate. Mm in its own kind of world. Again, because I, I wrote it six years ago and it's something I've dipped in and out of. It felt like it had soaked up enough kind of queer story because it's about a relationship mm-hmm. and mental health experiences. Um, not because I named them or needed to explicitly state them to an audience, mm. but they just kind of existed in the world and became a part of the reality of, of it, mm. you know? Um, the idea of like theatre as behaviour it just kind of became the behaviour of the piece mm. and that did a lot of a lot of good mm. like sometimes even like trying to sell the show sometimes people would be like do you think it's a queer play or do you think it's a mental health play mm. and even that question kind of starts to rip mm. rip the kind of what mm. feels good about it mm. What color is your box? What color is your... <laughs> yeah, literally. Well, I mean, like, my th- my thing with um, disability in theater, for instance, I'm using disability very consciously there, mm. like, my issue with it, and this has been the subject of, like, residencies for me in the past, is I don't think theater is often the best format for stories in which change can't happen because of a character or a person's ability to take action okay which is a very i did not word that well let me try again (laughs) it's just because you're talking to someone who's like not done anything really theater based since drama in high school so i'm like right the (laughs) idea so if you think of that the idea of theater we often talk about the idea of characters make choices yeah characters take action right yeah and through action they influence Mm -hmm. the story yeah right um, so when this is like a, a, a simple, simpler, simplified mm. explanation of it, but like the idea of like actors will put actions to lines. What am I doing in this moment? Yeah. Right. Um, again, getting away from the idea of just dialogue and being like, mm. no, what am I doing? What is my body in the space? Yeah. Like doing what is the behavior? Um, but with mental health stories, for instance, schizophrenia, psychosis for instance is something that you cannot choose your way out of i see what you're saying now right like you cannot make a choice that will definitely do you know what i mean i do like yeah and so for me a lot of the questions around and i mean there are narratives that exist out there the idea of like i'm going to choose medication choose therapy choose all these like recovery stories right yeah but for me i was really interested for a long time in stories that just allowed characters to sit in their experiences what does it mean for a character who has experiences of psychosis to just exist with experiences of psychosis Mm. right like Mm. how do you how do you show that Mm. and like theater or the way that we sell theater or frame theater um or even like read it or understand it when we watch it sometimes we're always looking especially with mental health we're always looking for our characters to make choices to try mm. and escape mental health to mm. try and escape their their negative situations mm. for mm. something else right yeah and yeah for the longest They're trying to solve the problem yeah 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 and just for the longest time i was like no what does it mean to sit in this mm. you know which i mean yeah. that relationship yeah Again, the question of, like, was it a positive or a negative experience? Again, like, neither and both. Yeah. Not a useful binary. Not a useful binary. Like Like a lot of things in life. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I find that with poetry a lot of the time Mm. as well. You know, the idea of, like, ah, so many, so many things. Like, I remember... Years ago, I used to get really angry at poets when I would talk about poetry being an inherently ableist kind of art form. Mm. And I used to say that a lot. And my reasoning for it sometimes, one of the reasons for it was, you don't have to give a 30-second explanation for what psychosis is before you do your poem about basketball. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there are aspects of that I still, like, agree with in various kind of 
ways. Um, but like you, you look at the, the the way that kind of like metaphors around mental health exist, and like I'm, I'm trying to write about this at the moment. Actually, the way that like psychosis exists as a metaphor in news media or yeah. horror film advertising, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how they often look the same, which is very concerning. Oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? But this thing, this thing of like um, Michael Myers, evil incarnate, madness mm. has a new name, face, whatever. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and then the same kind of the same kind of rhetoric that we see around like gun violence in the mm. US for instance mm, 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 like mm. like metaphor has a lot to answer for for what it's done for the mental health community yeah right yeah um and that's i think that's where the love hate comes in right because sometimes i step into poetry and i'll perform a poem around mental health and it feels like the audience comes in with their expectations, which are so much based in that, right? Mm. There's so much based in, like, news headlines and horror film narratives mm. and, mm. you know, psychos and mm. serial killers. Mm. That's so much where their expectation sits. Mm. And you have to use that, right? You have to kind of... You have to use the audience's expectations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As you a teacher, we call that activating schema. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm going to yeah. Google that when I get home. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you've got you've to acknowledge that these yeah. kids or these audience members are coming yeah. in from a certain perspective. Yeah. And that's your starting point, right? Mm. And sometimes I come in with a poem, and that starting point is so far away from where I want the conversation to be. Mm. And that dissonance... And the idea of having to cross that mm. gap in a three-minute poem, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, feels feels awful. Yeah, feels, and it feels sometimes because also as well, sometimes audience members expect you to come to them or come to a midpoint. That mm. thing of theater, right? Mm. The like, is it a mental health story or a queer story? Mm. People will ask questions of of the work and will expect you to move towards them. Yeah. And it feels like sometimes you have to staunchly say, no, it's this. Mm. It's this. Yeah. Yeah. And were you, did you yeah. feel more able to do that with your play than you were with poetry? Yes. Mm. Yes. Do yeah. you think like part of that is because of the form and also the fact that it was like very much yours <laughs> i think so i do yeah. think so theater one of the advantages of theater is that it's not three minutes right like mm. you're existing in a world and in a story mm. for a long period of time mm. right so you can sit in it a little bit more mm. there's more scope to do that mm. um and then again especially with like poetry slam poetry especially mm. where there's so much pressure sometimes to make mm. a point make a statement mm. um and sometimes you want to say like no i don't want to make a statement i want to <laughs> yeah, I can't. You know, we can't make statements right now. Yeah, we're not at the point where we are able to make statements. We yeah. actually just need to sit in this yeah. stuff for a while, yeah. figure out what we've got, and then we can start pulling things, yes. things out. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't win you slams, and it doesn't make right. it doesn't make an audience always feel like they got what they were expecting, mm. and that's a hard thing to kind of mm. grapple with. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Poems aren't always for the audience, though. No. Mm. Yeah. No. Um. I'm just looking at time. Yes. Can I ask what poem you were thinking of reading? There was a poem I really I was trying to finish a poem before. Fresh. Yeah, and I didn't get there. Uh, See, this always happens. So sorry. <laughs> I always go in thinking, yeah, this is the poem that I'm going to do. And then I'm like, oh, no, because we end up talking about something where I see a poem and I'm like, oh, I see. You ever do that? You like you plan a poem that you want to do and then you see a poem on stage and you're like, that's amazing. I'm going to change my entire. Yeah. See, I wish I did more of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No. Oh. Oh. Yeah, no, I have a poem that's like half ready and I wish it was ready entirely. If it's not ready, then you don't have to read it. Yeah. I might try this one and see how it goes. It might Is suck. this the new one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, it's called The Art of Coming Home. Breathe. Brain fade to the background noise of walking up to your wooden front door. Notice how it doesn't feel like your door anymore. But it is. When you come home from the hospital, sit. In the silence, your friends sing. For at least six seconds. Six seconds. Let it linger. Let them text with their heads down. Let them nap. Let them clean up after themselves until there is nothing left but vacuumed carpet. They have bought you pieces of furniture or a pot, planted themselves on the front of your couch, right on the edge. Joke about how you can't take care of pot plants. Not a safe bet. Let them make your bed. Whisper, stay safe and hug you when they leave through the front door. One by one, in a line waiting for a hug, let them go if they want. And six seconds. Stand in every doorway and look into each room. Six seconds. Stare at your cool home. Rediscover your favorite cutlery in the kitchen, your favorite mug, the one with the stupid picture on the front. Feel the cool, crisp texture of your duvet cover, relish in the smell of six-week-old dust, the kind that smells fresh somehow, like an open window. And when friends come back, treat every single sentence filled with single-digit words, hey, you okay? You... Like a golden opportunity to stop. Exhale and make a single-digit joke to let them know everything. That hotel was horrible. The bellboy kept asking if he could watch me pee. I've never had so much yogurt. Everything will be okay when they leave. Teach them it is okay to leave, that you will still be here when they return some way. Friends and medication are good for the same things, feeling drowsy, grounding, weight gain, Everyone's a little bit new to this. Everything's a little bit a little bit sore. Bathroom, six seconds. Cold tiles, plastic curtains, small, ceramic white with a smell. Dip yourself into a warm bath with lavender and your phone. Baths are boring. Hallway, six seconds. Wooden floor, straight lines, cyan wallpaper, kind of green. Like the first sip of English breakfast tea on a cold morning at your grandmother's cottage house. Replace hallucinations with English wallpaper in the living room, flowers on, flowers on, flowers on. Your feet on top of a heater wearing fluffy socks. Lie back first on the carpet of your suburb-ish apartment. Bedroom. Six seconds. Cold duvet, crisp. Dusty windowsill to your left, dusty headboard to your front, lamp, closet, sliding doors shut. Six seconds. Lie down face first, cold duvet, crisp. A bed is more comfortable after a holiday. This is sort of like a holiday. Treat it similarly to a holiday. Settle in slowly. Let it feel weird, uncomfortable. Six seconds. Slowly. <laughs>